you don't want facts, you don't want to hear another side, rather sit back and be mad, you don't want to humanize anybody with a different view, let it be a given any kind of past, you don't want this, you don't want that, you don't want to be cool, try to bridge gaps. Welcome, welcome, uh, Purpose Driven Podcast by Alex Cornwall, I'm really excited today, episode, you're the fourth episode, Jared, but I am really excited to have Jared Fleming, two-time U.S. national weightlifting champion, record holder, and all-around badass, and one of the strongest guys I know in the gym. And Jared, I, I'm excited to have you on board, and I'm going to let, let you kind of introduce more of yourself and stuff, but welcome to the Purpose Driven Podcast, man. Yeah, well, I appreciate uh, you having me here. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, so... I mean, let's jump right into it. I mean, the whole purpose of this this uh, podcast, of Jared, is I want to find out what people what drives people, what their purpose is, and why that purpose is driven them to do the things you do. I mean, you have definitely in in a very short time in your life have become very successful weightlifter, uh, U.S. champion. I mean, let's talk about it. But let's start from the start from the first. Who who is Jared Fleming? Like, yeah. Introduce introduce yourself to us, man. Yeah. Well, for for the longest part of my life, who I was was, or how I identified myself was as an athlete, and more specifically as a weightlifter, and that's that's who I saw myself. So when I was in college, I had a project, and uh, part of that project was one word define yourself, and I said weightlifter. That's how I define myself. And nowadays, I don't. Uh, I don't see myself in such a specific light. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about, you know, my progression in life and how I went from where I've been to, to here. Yeah. And really, um, I'm just someone who's trying to be the best version of himself and be great at everything that I do. And I would sum it up at that. Well, that that's really interesting. I mean, t- and let's go back a little bit. Where did that passion for weightlifting come from? Was it an early age? Like, where did that all start? Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely um, a good place to kick off, and it's pretty pretty intense. So, uh, listeners, be, be ready. <laughs> um, to speak a little more broadly, and then getting into the specifics of my childhood growing up, I think that a lot of people find purpose and their drive through adversity. You know, when you, as the saying goes, as the, as the going gets tough, the tough get going. Uh And I think most people are motivated or driven to accomplish things or move forward in life through necessity. Because when there's no need to grow or move forward, we, we usually don't like what's the impetus for growth because growth comes through struggle, right? Like becoming the best weightlifter in the country isn't an easy thing and it's arduous and it takes years of hard work and dedication, you know, and you have to get very uncomfortable a lot of times, all the time you're pushing to failure. You're throwing up doing sets of 10 back squats. Like you're sacrificing a lot of things in life, making sure that you're sleeping 10 plus hours a night and you're following a dietary regimen. And, um, yeah, there's a lot involved. Where, where, where did that discipline come from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So leading, leading into that, um, growing up, my childhood wasn't so great when it came to my relationship with my mother. So my mother struggles with bipolar disorder and, uh, growing up, she was physically and verbally abusive from the time I was from my earliest memories, you know? And so for the longest time in my life, I saw that as, especially as a child and growing up until I was, I moved out when I was 18. So 
from the time I can remember until I was 18, living in my home was more of a prison than a home. And uh, what drove me to greatness was necessity. So I remember, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but when I was, this is one of my youngest memories. I remember my mom was, she had an episode and, um, she, I mean, for lack of a better word, she was abusing me physically. And uh, I remember when that ended, I was hysterical, just crying, and I was by myself in my room. And I remember praying to God. What I mean, I didn't, I didn't really understand what that any of that was. Um, but I just remember praying and wishing that one day that, not even just wishing, but praying and almost uh, making a deal with God. And I didn't really understand what God was, so we'll just use that word, right? Yeah. With something or someone that one day that I would I would not be in this situation. One day I would be strong enough that nobody could hurt me in this way. Yeah. And so what drove me to weightlifting was the necessity to become strong so that way I would no longer be a victim to my circumstances. So that's how it started. Wow. And how long did that happen? How long did that go on? Your whole childhood? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean... It came and went, you know, well, every day wasn't like that. I mean, every day was wondering when the shoe was going to drop, Yeah, you know, and there were, I mean, yeah, my, until I, I left for college ultimately when I was 18. So it was, uh, that was, that was, uh, that was one of the most difficult, uh, periods of my life. There's, there's two periods of my life and we'll get to the second one later in this conversation, I'm sure. But growing up <clears throat> with my mother was, uh, one of the most difficult experiences in my life. But that was the fuel that drove me to greatness and weightlifting, because for me, there were there were two things. One was I needed to be strong so that way nobody could do that to me when I like my whole motivation growing up was I'm so sick of this abuse. I need to get to somewhere where this can't happen anymore. So you basically use that adversity to strengthen. Yeah. Basically, you're driven by fear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, had you to were driven by that fear. I, I, I would say. I would say, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's two folded though. So driven through fear, yes, but I think I was driven more. Like the fear wasn't the driving factor. The fear created a dream of something bigger, okay. and to be, and to get yeah, out of it. So spend on that. Yeah. So the fear it wasn't that I w- I lifted because I was afraid. I lifted because I was tired of being in my situation. And I think for me, and I think other successful people, like, um. Not the glass is half full or half empty, but instead of looking for problems, I'm looking for solutions, right? So, like, my problem was I was getting my ass whooped. Um, The solution was, okay, I need to be strong enough that this can't happen anymore. So it wasn't I was lifting because I'm I'm afraid my mom's going to beat me. I'm lifting because I'm tired of it. So I'm always looking at how can I overcome whatever challenge is in front of me. So I'm I don't I would say I'm not ever motivated by fear. If there's something I'm frightened of, right, like. I just got through fire academy. So if I'm nervous about an exam, I'm going to study, not because I'm afraid I'm not going to pass. I'm going to study because like I'm uncomfortable. Exactly. So I'm solution, solution oriented. Um, So yeah, becoming the best weightlifter did two things. It meant one, I would be strong enough that I wouldn't be able to be a victim, not only to my mother, but anyone in life. And two, um, I mean, I grew up relatively poor. I mean, we were, I would say we were below the poverty line. Like I got free lunch at school and, and et cetera. Um, and I didn't like being poor or like being poor sucked. And for me, weightlifting was also an avenue to get out of my circumstance, my situation and create something for myself and 
just rise out of everything that, that I came from. I mean, you, you hit on a little bit like where weightlifting was a way for you to get strength and, and become stronger and everything. But why weightlifting? Yeah, I mean, all, I mean, there's powerlifting. Yeah. I know yeah. you, 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 you dabbled in powerlifting and weightlifting in your younger years. Mm-hmm. But why weightlifting? Yeah. So one, weightlifting is in the Olympics and powerlifting isn't. And a lot of people True. don't, a lot of people don't know the difference between weightlifting and powerlifting. So for those of you listening, they're like, what is the difference? Powerlifting is bench, squat, and deadlift. Uh, whereas weightlifting is snatch and clean and jerk. And powerlifting has, I mean, 30 to 50 organizing bodies like USPA and, uh, USPL. There's a bunch of different powerlifting organizations. Weightlifting has one. So when you're a champion in weightlifting in America, you're the best of your, you are the best, right? There's no other organization. There's one, there's USA weightlifting. That's your track to the Olympics. And if you're the champion, like there's no one better than you in that class. Whereas in powerlifting, you could be the best of one, but there's 30 or 40 others, you know, when did you decide you were going to take it as far as you did? I mean, there's videos of me when I was 10 years old saying that I was going to be an Olympian someday. Um, I think for me, what the Olympics represented was just the pinnacle of sport, which is part of how I conduct myself today. If there's something I want to do, I want to, I want to be the best. Yeah. And so uh, I just want to be the best, and that's what the best looked like. And so that's what I set course for. And um, it, I did read as well, like in, in your early years and actually in your later years in your career, uh, your dad was your coach. Yeah. Let's expand on that a little bit. How was that relationship? Yeah, well, let's phenomenal. It's 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 more interesting interesting than that. So my first coach was a guy named Jim Storch, and Jim Storch was my father's first coach. So so you asked why weightlifting. Uh, my father did weightlifting when he was in high school and in college, and okay. so I just wanted to lift weights. I didn't care what that was, and it happened just so happened to be that he did Olympic weightlifting, and so I wanted to start. I, I wanted to start when I was eight, and my dad was like, "Nah, you're too young. Like, let's wait." And then I kept asking. I mean, my, my goals didn't change. Uh, so when I was 10, he was like, okay, like, I think you're old enough. Let's, let's try it out. So he took me to the gym. I started working out with Jim. And for the first two years, three years, Jim was my coach. And my dad learned from Jim. And my dad started taking his USA weightlifting level one and two and started learning from other coaches. And it, it just went from there. And he and I, that was one of the greatest blessings of my life was having that relationship with my father. And that is really the majority of the experiences I have with my father are in the gym, traveling to weightlifting competitions. Um, so really that was a, a conduit for he and I, he and my relationship together. And it, it, it was a blessing. Wow. That's awesome. So, I mean, I wrote down here as well, like it sounds like he was the one that kept you going. I mean, your drive also, I mean, you had that drive though, that passion to do it, but he you know was what, also that role model he, for you. What he did, what he did is he, matched my effort you know he i wanted to be an olympian i went in there i did the work and i mean i was too young to drive so he got me up he took me to the gym he coached me so really i would say that it was that was even parts he and i so you're absolutely right there that he uh he was the other half of that coin i couldn't have done it without him that's for sure that's awesome yeah how why and how has that helped you in your later years like now you know now you're an adult how has that helped instill and what, what has that helped you do? Like, what has that done for you now? Weightlifting or my relationship with your, my father? Your relationship with your father. I mean, weightlifting is weightlifting. That's yeah. the, the drive, that passion there. But let's talk about the relationships. Because I'm, I'm a firm believer, you know, your proximity of who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, if I'm not mistaken, in 
you know, you had that opportunity to have that relationship with your dad. You didn't have it with your mom in there, in that home. That relationship meant a lot to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it still does. It sounds like, so let's, yeah. let's talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, that's, if it, yeah, if it wasn't for my father, I wouldn't be here. So I'm, I'm very grateful for everything that he did for me. I will say that, uh, when my weightlifting career ended, that was where, Oh, I would say that the, the point that my father and I are at now is trying to reestablish a relationship. So, so much of our relationship was centered around weightlifting. So when my father wasn't working, um, he was, he was coaching me or, yeah. or, at, you know, at home and he worked a lot. I mean, that man is a workaholic, you know, um, not, and I, not in what I would say a bad way. I mean, he, he's just, I learned so much from him as far as what hard work looks like and what yeah. a, you know, what a day of real work looks like. And he, he builds homes and he actually does the building from like bottom up. So he gets his hands dirty and knows how to put work in. And, and his father was, my, my grandfather was the same. So what I learned from my parental figure, so my grandfather and my father, was what hard work looks like and w- what working a full day looks like, you know, and I grew up on a farm too. So not only were we working on the farm, we were working building and my dad owned a sawmill when I was a kid. So all, I learned manual labor as well at a young age. So what I learned from my father and grandfather was hard work and the value of a dollar and what it, what it looked like to go out and create something for yourself. So uh, a lot of the way I view my life and the way I looked at training, I learned from both, I would say my father and grandfather, because although my grandfather wasn't the one taking me to the gym, he was a father figure as well. I spent a lot of time working with him, yeah. uh, learned a tremendous amount from him as well. Uh, and he, they're both incredible, incredible individuals. Um, but with my father and I, the majority of the time that we spent together was in the gym. So when that avenue became disrupted, he and I have been over the past six years, figuring out what our relationship looks like without that. And so that's been, that's been kind of difficult because we had this, not the, I don't know how to, it's, I get where you're going. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's, you know, you have friends that are there for you when, when you need to talk about something or, you know, but then you have friends that you enjoy doing things with, like you mm-hmm. have similar hobbies. And so yeah. my father and I, we both loved weightlifting and we both talked about weightlifting and when that was gone, it's like, well, what do we have now? So basically that weightlifting defined your relationship. It, yeah. A hundred percent. That's a and, great way to put it. And through that definition right now, now that it's not there, you're like, okay, what do we yeah. have in common? Yeah. And that's what we've been reestablishing and, um, what's been, it's been really, it's been really great. And so, you know, without derailing that too much, one of the things that's been difficult as well is, uh, you know, my parents just split up, I think like a year or two years ago. And one of the things that was really hard for me and, and my father's relationship was, um, you know, my mother and I, we haven't talked for a few years and that was, I think it's really the best for both of us. And so when they were still together and our weight, my weightlifting career had ended, um, I, I didn't go back home and visit anymore just because it wasn't healthy for me to be around her. And, uh, so I didn't really see my father much and it was hard for he and I to have a relationship because the, because I didn't have a relationship with my mother. So that's where this conversation is kind of tough because I don't want to trash on anyone and, you know, these are personal things that I don't mind sharing them, but I'm, I'm trying to choose how I go about it carefully. It was difficult. My parents' relationship was really difficult for me. And when my father and I lost weightlifting, um, it was really hard to, to refill that. But fortunately, um, you know, as I was, we were talking before we hopped on here, I'm going back to visit my family for a couple of weeks and we're going to go fishing and, um, maybe do some turkey hunting. I'm not sure if, what, what season it, it is right now, but we're talking about doing some fishing. And, and one of the things that we did do growing up that wasn't 
lifting related was we hunted together a lot and we fished together a lot and yeah um we've gone on a couple hunting trips to wyoming together and um so i think that that's the the avenue that we're well that's the direction i'm trying to take it you know and that we're both excited about and that we both really enjoy and that we can just bond and um anyways yeah that, that that's one of the things in my life that uh that was one of my one of my um yearly aspirations was to was to develop a greater relationship with my father specifically you know yeah because that's something that is really important to me and uh fig, like reestablishing the relationship that we used to have but in a in just a life sense instead of a sport sense is something that's important and i'm working on well i think it's uh, i i i think that's awesome just because i mean relationships especially with family members they're tough sometimes they're really hard um weightlifting comes and goes jobs come and go but in all reality, does that relationship, do you really want that to come and go? You know, and if you have that relationship, you got to rekindle that and everything, especially because he was such a big influence to you through that weightlifting. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he was the one that helped instill that mindset of, of that championship mindset. And let's go there really quick. I mean, you definitely are an example of that championship mindset. Um, how did you continue to have that mindset going through the, that struggle that, you know, going home and, and having that at home, but yet still having that championship mindset in the gym. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, psychologists will teach you is that to identify with your sport uh, is dangerous because that's where you get all of your self-worth. And if you have a bad day at the gym, then it's a, it's a bad day in life, you know? Yeah. Um, but for me, out of necessity, right, like weightlifting is what I had to do or, or so I thought weightlifting became my identity and I had so low self-worth because of my home environment that that was the only thing that brought me being great at weightlifting is what made me feel worth anything. And so the champion mindset came from, I want to feel good about myself. I want to be worth something. And the better I am at this, the more I win, the more medals I have, the more records I break, so on, uh, the more value I intrinsically have. And I wanted to be worth something. And that's what drove me to be the best. Does it still drive you today? Um, I look at life very different now. I don't derive my self-worth from being better than others. And I think that's a huge accomplishment because my sense of self-worth isn't dependent upon beating someone in a competition. I feel like that's a very, I don't, if, if someone views their life in that way, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't, again, I don't want to speak down to it, but I don't, I think it sets someone up to be it puts you at risk, right? So uh, after my lifting career ended, because that was my identity and that because that's what drove me, uh, I went through a depression, which was the second also most difficult part of my life. Not that it was second or first compared to my childhood, but it was incredibly difficult and it dragged down for a couple of years. So uh, I'm not driven by being better than others. I'm driven by being better than I was yesterday. Interesting. Expand on that. Yeah. I don't remember who the quote was. I think it was... um, an author anyways um i think it was hemingway i could be wrong but anyways uh it's not and i'm butchering it but essentially it's uh, being better than your fellow man isn't a noble pursuit being better than you were yesterday is something to that effect and um i actually saw that after i started realizing that for myself and i was like this 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 resonates this is where i'm at um I believe going through going through my depression, I had to re reevaluate everything in my life, what I wanted, how I saw myself, how I saw I mean everything was 
everything changed or everything came under the microscope. A lot stayed the same, but uh, a lot changed. And I came to realize that my I, I established my ethics, the, what I view as most important for me. And those three things are integrity, service, and self-improvement. Those are the three pieces of my triangle that are the most important to me. And integrity to me is how you interact with others and yourself, right? What do you, you know, what do you do alone? Um, and that all comes down to me, you know, and how I interact with others, not being better than someone else. Self-improvement, again, that comes down to me being better than I was yesterday, whether that's lifting more weight, which is what it used to be. But now it's, it's how I, how I carry myself through a day, how I interact with my neighbors, with my partner, with my, you know, my animals, with, uh, with my, the challenges that are, that face me. Do I handle them with a calm mindset or do I get all flustered and frustrated, you know, and then, um, service do, am I making an impact in my community and to my neighbors? Am I providing more help and relief than creating burdens and struggles for others? So when it comes down to being better than I was yesterday, it's not just about this sole single minded or one track mind direction of being an Olympian and weightlifting. It's, am I a good individual and do I make a positive impact on this world and am I doing better today than yesterday? And that's what that looks like. Isn't it interesting how your purpose changes over time? So many people get fixated on one, one thing and this is what we're going to be. I mean, at 10 years old, you're telling yourself you're going to be an Olympian. And you, that drove you to where you are today, but your whole mindset shifted. It's yeah. all just about service. I love that. Service, self-improvement, doing 1% more. I love, you know who Ed Milet is? No. Go look up Ed Milet on, on YouTube. But he says something. He's always chasing the future, the better version of himself. Mm-hmm. He's always chasing the better version of himself every single day. And that's exactly, it sounds like, the exact same thing. It's like, I mean, you wrote your personal goal is to be the, the best all-around person you can be. Essentially. I mean. Yeah. I mean, what if, what if everybody had that? Yeah, I mean, that'd be great. I think that's like the utopia that some of us dream of, you know? You know what I'm saying? I yeah. wish I wish more people would have that mentality. Yeah. This world would be such a different place. Yeah, but the biggest thing, I think the one of the biggest things that all of us struggle with, and I think humanity in general, is that what's right isn't always easy. You know, a lot of times it's not easy. And uh, instant gratification, like I think for most of us, the satisfaction of something in the moment versus long-term improvement or making an impact on someone else's day, uh, making an impact on someone else's day or the long-term betterment is usually outweighed by the momentary gratification of something. And that's, I think, the, if not the biggest, one of the biggest problems that just humanity faces. Yeah, I agree. And it all comes down to, like, cell phones. I mean, everything is just right there. It's instant. It's right there. Yeah, man, it's it's a lot, right? It's it it's is. social media, it's it's media, it's it's the it's the instantaneous everything on your phone. It's it's uh, drugs and alcohol. It's food. It's it just goes on and on, right? It's yeah. that thrill. It's that dopamine rush. I think it really it just really it comes down to hormones. You know, it's like that serotonin and dopamine rush that people get through these artificial highs that uh, I think that corrodes and kills us. It's funny. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Idiocracy? No, I've heard about oh, it. Oh, man, you got to watch it. It's so okay. funny. I will. Uh, you'll get with anybody that's watching this that's seen it. You'll know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you should check it out. 
but uh, I won't ruin it, but watch it. It's very relevant to what we're talking about. Okay. Honestly, I'm going to watch that. Well, let's go back a little bit. I want to, I want to talk about you uh, when you won your championship and the sense of accomplishment that that gave you and just that feeling and, and like walk us through that, walk us through that point in your life. And when, when you became that first USA champion. Yeah, man, you know, the high that I get when I'm performing and competing on stage and the room is full of people that are just going bananas, watching you and other lifters go back and forth. There's really nothing like it. I mean, it's so addicting. I just, well, and the thing is, is you're your only competition up on that stage. It's you against the bar. It's true. And you're the only one that can pick that bar up. Yeah. That's yeah. one thing I love about weightlifting. And I'm not at your level by any means, you know, but that's one thing I love about it. I mean, it's you. You've got the power output. It's all about you picking up that bar. And so did you know going into that match that you were going to win? Yeah, yeah. That one, the first one, yeah, I did. Walk the, us through that. Yeah, so the first one, I can't remember where the event was. It was in Ohio somewhere, like Des Moines, Iowa, or Iowa City. And, uh, I mean, that particular event. So the first net senior, so I've won nationals from the time I was a, a, a kid, right? I've won youth nationals, junior nationals, collegiate nationals. But in 2013, I won my first open net, open nationals. And uh, that particular year, um, I had one other person in my weight class who I knew had the opportunity to challenge me. But, um, you know, honestly, man, I knew I was going to win every time. Like it's just, it's just the mindset you have to have going into it. And one of the things about weightlifting that's uh, unique compared to other sports is, as you mentioned, it's number driven, right? So mm-hmm. if you go into a weightlifting meet and your total, so total is what your best snatch plus your best clean and jerk is, right? So if your total is 40 kilos ahead or below someone else, then you know, it's like, it's not even close, right? You're going to win or you're not like, it's just even their worst day. Like if they're four, if they can do 80 pounds more than you, like on your best day, like you're just not going to pull that out of your ass. Like, you know, it's just not, you can't. So a lot of times adrenaline's not going to give you that much. Right. Right. So a lot of times you just know whether you're going to win or not, but that's not what I'm talking about because both the times that I won nationals, um, I had competition, but, um, you just gotta, you got to know you're going to win for it to happen. I, I don't know how to put it other than that. Like, you just got to be so – you just have to see it happen before it happens, you know. And uh, that's always where I was at. And um, when it comes domestically, so within the United States, uh, I've only ever lost twice from the time I was 10 until I was 25. Lost meaning didn't get first place. So um, once when I was, like, 12, and then when I was – I think like 22 and that particular event I wouldn't have competed but I was competing to help my team get points because I had a back injury so I went light so I don't even really count that as a loss because that was me assisting my team but really I lost once when I was 12 and I was like this sucks so bad that it it that moment of failing it felt to me was so powerful that it drove me to the lengths to always win and so I really never lost after that um yeah, I don't know, man, but, but that's crazy. But when it comes to competing, just the high you get performing in front of people and putting on display what you do, you know, 40 hours a week when it comes yeah. to lift and how you eat and sleep. And it's like no, it's no different than a normal job, except at the end of the day, you get to go and you get to do it in front of like the whole world and make or break. You know, it's it's I, I miss that the most 
is the is the high you get competing especially weightlifting like you know crossfit um or you know i compete in the tactical games now it's a lot of fun but the difference is that weightlifting is a moment it's a snap of a finger and it's all like all the thrill and hype is in like five seconds or 10 seconds it's so thrilling whereas an event you know like like a CrossFit Games event or like a Tactical Games event, like it might be an hour, you know? So that thrill isn't there, but yeah. in the moment that you make the lift, the crowd goes crazy, you just won or you broke a record. It's just like, it is, there's no high like it. You said something really interesting is is you saw you do it before you actually picked up the bar. Visual, visualization. Yeah. You, you visualized it. Walk us through that. Did you do that every time before every match? You visualized your, I mean, I am a firm believer in visualization, you know, thinking about it making sure seeing you do that lift walk, yeah walk us through that yeah so usually what i would do <clears throat> walk us through your routine i guess right before you picked up that bar yeah so it's it's even it's it goes even deeper than that so um so in weightlifting everything is long term right so when we do a training program it's three to four months before before the competition so usually you have goals aligned for yourself months and months before the event usually so if I know what my goals are four months from now, I'm going to be visualizing that like when I'm in the gym, I go to the gym and I'm visualizing myself four months from now hitting the weights that, that I want. And what that does is visualize it like everything in life comes down to action, right? So you can oh. believe something, um, but then you have to do it, right? Like a lot of people like believe to achieve or whatever. And it's like, yes, but that's half of it. You got to believe in yourself, but then you got to put in the work and you got to do it. So most so, people don't do Right. It's, it's half of a coin, you know, you got the other side of that and the other side of that is action and doing. So for me at the beginning of that cycle, I'm already envision, envisioning myself hitting. I would, so I, a lot of times I would sign a contract to myself. I would write down, snatch this, clean and jerk this, and I would sign it and I would date, I would put a date, uh, on when I was going to do it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I have pictures of me signing, um, signing weights that I would hit for myself months and down the line. So I would write out what I would want and I would sign it. And then when I would go into the gym, I would visualize and see myself doing what I was going to do four months in, down the line. And then I would bust my ass in training. I was like, if I'm going to do that, I need to do I need to do this today. I hope people are listening to this and they actually rewind that and hear what you're saying. Because the exact same thing you can do in business, because yeah. you're exactly right. It's the exact same thing in business. Jim Carrey did the same thing. He talks about he wrote a, yeah. a million dollar a million dollar check and put it in his wallet. And he's like, you know, two a year later or whatever it happened. Yeah. Um, it, I think with the thing with visualization, mo visualization in the moment is also a value. Um, but I think that visualization over time is really where it's at because it's a daily reminder and manifestation of what you want rather than like, what's the saying? Uh, f to fail, to prepare is to prepare to fail. Yeah. And you know, if you're not visualizing and seeing your goals, happen months in advance, then you're not actually preparing to make it happen. If you're just throwing a Hail Mary and hoping that if you visualize something now that you're going to make it happen, well, you failed to prepare. So when it came to the moment, I didn't usually visualize in the moment because I'd already done it for four months, right? You're when it was already, time to do you it, you were already doing it. <clears throat> I'm already living it now. Yeah. Like I'm living out what I've already seen myself do at this point. So like, I'm not visualizing it again. I'm doing it. Like I'm actually, I'm actualizing what I've been thinking about for months now. And, and the only thing that's in my mind in that moment is just pure emotion. There's no thought. It's just action. And I, and that's the way I understand the word Zen is a complete singular tracked focus that's devoid of like of thought. 
It's just existing. It's, it's being, right? And, and you do. Being and mm-hmm. doing. Yep. That's all it is. But that came from what? The word practice. You had to put in the work to actually get to that point. Oh, so yeah. many people start, and this is just my belief, is they're like, okay, like you said, they want to think it, and it's going to be there. But they don't do that do. Yeah. That's you the, know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They don't put in the work. They don't practice every single day. I mean, I coach, I coach real estate professionals and stuff like that, and the biggest thing is you got to do. You got to put in the work and you got to do the work. You got to put in the practice so you can actually do it. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact same thing. And I love it that, that we're talking about weightlifting, something that's totally, you know, so many people don't think like you treat it as a job, like you said, you know what I'm saying? But it's the exact same concept. I love that, man. So let's talk a little bit about, a, you know, I mean, your competition, you won your first go around. Did you want to go on? Did you want to? Did you want to compete again? I mean, I mean, talk us through that progression more. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was never ready to quit weightlifting. I, I never. It's funny. So to share a story, uh, when I was in college, I was probably 20, 20, 21, and I was having a rough day in the gym. It wasn't going how I wanted to. And one of my friends, uh, he was at that time. He was probably twenty eight. He was a bit older. He was a grad student. And uh, he was like, you know, when I have a hard day in the gym, I think about what I want after weightlifting. You know, I think about a family, you know, a home, so on. <clears throat> so do you ever think about that? It's like, actually never. I was like, I've never thought about it. It, it was so, I remember it, like I felt blindsided, you know, when, when those moments or epiphanies come to you and you're like, whoa, I had never even thought about what my life looked like after weightlifting until that moment. And I, or it had never even been presented Did to me. Did it scare you a little bit? No, it didn't scare me. No, it didn't scare me. But it was just like, I was like, huh, didn't scare me at all because I was so caught up in my own world of weightlifting. Like it was, it was the only thing important to me really, you know, in my life, like came before God came before, you know, and I use the word God loosely, right? Like I, I, my faith is, is much broader than just one word, but, um, it, it comes, it was the most important thing before family, everything. I was like, this is, this, this is the most important thing. And what I believed is that if I was the best at that, all the other things would would be relationships with my family and when I would be better because I would be able to provide more. That was my thought. Um, but it just goes to show how single track my mind was. So using that moving forward, that that moment moving forward, um, I was never ready to quit weightlifting. Um, 2015 at the World Championships, uh, I was ranked second in the country. I was ranked first in my weight class. Uh, but I was ranked second in the country and we were projected to get three spots for the Olympics. So going into the world championships, um, I was expecting to be on the Olympic team. And this was November. This is actually Thanksgiving day of 2015. The Olympics were, you know, late spring, early summer of, uh, 2016. Uh And, um, I was on track. I had to hit one. I had to hit a clean and jerk on stage to make the team. And I blew out my ACL on that lift. First you blew out your ACL on that lift. <clears throat> yeah, first time in my entire lifting career that I had a catastrophic injury was on the lift on the day I was going to make the Olympics. And so, what did that do to you? Oh man. Well, you know, in the moment, in the moment, I was uh, naive. I thought I knew that I, I. It's a lot. In the moment, I felt relief from the pressure, which I've struggled with since then it's interesting tell me tell yeah me, tell me a little bit more about that i mean the pressure yeah. yeah i mean the pressure is absolutely immense um you know you've got 
six lifts. You've got three snatches and three clean and jerks. And you got to go out there and you got to, you got to hit all of them. How much weight are we talking? Yeah. So uh, I hold the American record in an old weight class, the USA or the international weightlifting federation has since changed the weight classes, but I held the American record snatch in the 94 kilo weight class. So body weight of 207 or less. Uh, I held the snatch American record at 170 kilos, which is 375 pounds. Um, 375 pounds. Yeah. Over your head. Is in a snatch. So I've clean and jerked more than that. So if, if most of you probably aren't familiar with what a snatch or a clean and jerk is, but uh, you could you could go on YouTube and watch a video. You can even see these lifts that I'm talking about on YouTube. If you just type in Jared Fleming weightlifting, you'll find these videos. But a snatch, if you're trying to just visualize here, uh, a snatch is where you're taking a barbell and you're thrusting it over your head in one motion without stopping uh, all the way over your head. And then a clean and jerk, I have clean and jerked 200 kilos, which is 440 pounds, which is where the bar rests on your shoulders. You go from the floor to your shoulders and then from your shoulders overhead, 440. Uh, I've cleaned... 465 and I've jerked 465 but I've never I never put it together um, and I've snatched 385 but just wasn't in wasn't in competition um, yeah so those are the weights that, that I was lifting it puts it in perspective yeah of how much weight we're really talking about but most people really want to know how much I bench press yeah, that's, how that's much what most that? people are going to be asking 405 that's it yeah I was I know. expecting more man. I know I'm right joking. exactly no <laughs> um it's coming from someone that could barely do 275 <laughs> yeah um yeah, so I blew on my ACL on stage, and in that moment, it was more just chaos in the moment because no one knew what happened, right? So I, I did a clean. It was my first clean and jerk at 193 kilos, I think. So like yeah. two, I'm sorry, 420, like 430 roughly. Uh, caught the clean, stood up for the jerk. I caught it on my shoulders, and something popped in my knee, and my knee just like was like it was like I was standing on jello and I just dropped it and I sat back and there wasn't any pain, but I was just sitting on the platform because I was like, I don't think I can stand on it, you know? And so my dad, who was, you know, the, one of the team USA coaches, um, he and the medical director came up and they helped me off the stage. And so if you miss a lift, you have two minutes before you have to go back up. So we have two minutes to figure out what's, what should happen, what's going on, if I'm going to take the next one. And so we're all, it's like, it's a mess. Like, we're just trying to figure out. They're like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know, but something's not right with my leg. And they're like, okay. And the medical director's feeling it. And he's like, um, he's like, do some squats. So I'm doing some air squats. He's like, move around. He's like, you got to figure out what's going on. He's like, is there any pain? And so the clock is ticking. Yeah. We got to figure this out now. And then I got to go back up and I got to try to do 430 again after just being injured. So, um, and then I go to do a split jerk. So a split jerk, again, you pr it's hard to visualize, but actually it's like a lunge position, right? So when you put the weight over your head, most times you're going to do what's called a split jerk. And that's where you're going to move your feet. One foot goes back, one fo foot goes forward. And you do that because you're more stable. But I did that with just body weight. And I felt like my lower leg, like my tibia was just going to hit the floor. So like there was nothing holding my femur and my tibia together anymore. So I did that and I, f I almost fell over. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. And the medical director was like, he has a torn, he has something torn in his knee. Uh, we're medically withdrawing him from the event. So they medically oh. withdrew me, which, I mean, honestly, that was the right call because there's no way I was going to. Yeah, be able you couldn't to, have lifted anything. No. No. And so they medically withdrew me. And um, I didn't know exactly what happened. I wasn't in pain. I knew that. There was no pain? Dude, I had no pain. A lot That's of, so crazy. I had a lot of pain the next day, but it's just adrenaline, man. Yeah. Like you're just adrenaline to the roof. Like you just don't, I mean, the amount of pain that putting the amount of pain that 
clean and jerking that much weight really like dude so i've endured so much pain uh, just from lifting like your adrenaline and you just get used to handling insane amounts of pain and so i didn't i wasn't hurting you know my tolerance for pain is so high and i was hopped up on tons of ibuprofen so uh no pain um just instability and so in my mind i'm like okay i have another shot to make the olympics you know at the trials um you know let's just see what's going on here there's, there's another chance down the road i uh, got an mri the next day or two days later and they're like oh you have a ruptured acl i'm like and and they're like yeah you're gonna need surgery like in you know asap basically and i was like oh <clears throat> i'm like so they're like yeah so i'm like at that point so it was a few days later it's starting to sink in i'm like okay so what are we gonna do and still like i'm like maybe there's a creative solution so um i, I go back to the olympic training center in colorado springs i'm talking to the medical medical staff and they're like well you know maybe we can do this or maybe we can do that and uh, at the end of the day i was like guys there's I mean, it took everything I had. Like, I needed to hit my bests to make the Olympics. And I'm like, now I have to hit my bests, and my knee is all jacked up. And at that moment, I knew. I was like, this isn't realistic anymore. Um, I'm like, there's just, just not possible. Like, I couldn't. Once the swelling started to, to come in, like, I couldn't squat below parallel, you know, like with my own body weight. And I'm like, I'm like there's, it's not possible now, you know. Um, and then it started to sink in and it wasn't, it wasn't really that bad until after I had surgery because I was able to at least still live somewhat of a normal life. Right. Like I was like, okay, I could still go to the gym and like bench and I could do some stuff. And then I had surgery and I was in like, I couldn't walk for like weeks. And, um, then it really started to set in. Then it was, yeah. And then I'm like watching my friends, you know, my, and my competitors compete and train for the Olympics. And I'm like, and when they went to the Olympics, oh, dude. Like, yeah, I mean, the guy that went to the Olympics, I had beaten like several times prior. Wasn't that Kendrick? Or yeah, Kendrick. Kendrick. And he's and he's an amazing athlete. He was a training partner for a long time at LSU. Um, I really liked the guy, but I had beaten him twice prior to that, and I had beat him beaten him at the national championships just before Worlds, and I beat him in the snatch going into the clean and jerk at that Worlds. So, um, so it was really hard to be so close and to not how long did how long did that define you that moment yeah Mm. you know what i'm saying like yeah expand i'm not exactly sure for me i i I truly believe there's crossroads in people's lives i talked about this in other podcasts like there's defining moments where i mean that moment defined your your future and and who you are today yeah you know what i'm saying but when did you i I mean you, you said you started realizing it when the swelling kicked in and your body and you just couldn't do what you're doing. But when did you actually have that realization? Like, Oh shit, like this career is done. Yeah. It, you know what I'm saying? It, what did yeah. it happen? Did it happen instantly? <clears throat> I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but like expand on that more. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's a lot after that. So, um, an ACL injury isn't a career ending injury. It can be, but it's not always right. Especially with modern, modern science and surgeries they are so good at it. Um, so I, I didn't think that was, I didn't believe that was the end at that time. I believed because I was 24 or 25, I, I can't remember exactly. Um, I was 24 or 25, and then I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll still be in my 20s. And really with weightlifting, if you're healthy, you can go into your, your 30s. You know, you can be, I mean, realistically, 36. I mean, I mean, I've seen guys go to the world championships from America at 38, you know. So, like, it, I'm like, I, I knew, I'm like, it's not too late. I could still do it. So I'm not freaking out at that point, but I knew I had a long road ahead of me. Um, 
So what happened at that point is I started rehabbing, recovering, and, and a lot of other things in my life started crashing down. It wasn't just weight of things. So um, at that point, I mean, I was a I was a professional athlete, right? So USA Weightlifting was paying me a stipend. I was um, competing for a company called Muscle Driver. They were a competitor of Rogue at the time. Rogue is a uh, equipment manufacturing Huge company. company now. Yeah. yeah, and so Muscle Driver was was their direct competitor. So they sponsored me. They paid me like a living salary to compete for them and train at their facility. Uh, I had a bunch of other sponsors and um, I was traveling the world, teaching seminars for another company. So I was making six figures at like from the time I was 21 to like that time I got injured. Um, And when I got injured, USA Weightlifting cut my stipend like four months later. And then the company that I was working for went out of business. So that ended. And then the company I was teaching, I was doing seminars for went under and so I went from making six figures to basically figuring out where I was going to get my next paycheck. Fortunately, I had saved a lot and, and wasn't a complete dummy with my money. But I was like, what? Am-? And I was injured. Like, I was still, like, on crutches. And I'm like, all of this came crashing down within, like, a three-month span. It was crazy. All because of that injury. Well, not all, well. some of it was unrelated. So muscle driving going out of business oh. wasn't related to my injury. It just happened to be that they went out. They fired, filed for Chapter 7 or 11 or whatever bankruptcy, and they, they were done. And um, this other company, they uh, they just kind of, you know, uh, rusted away into nothing. And I had seen their downfall coming. So they had started to wind down right around the time I got injured. Uh, yeah. And it just kind of burned out right after that. Um, I mean, I was still teaching seminars, but I went from, from teaching them and teaching 50 people to like 10. And like it just became really sparse. And so that really changed my stipend from USA Weightlifting. That was directly related to my injury. What was um, going through your mind at this time? Oh, dude, I was also in a horrible relationship with my partner, like with my girlfriend at the time. And so that was just awful. She was, um, well, I'm not getting into any, I don't, I'm not getting any, any specifics as far as her, you know, um, but our relationship was really bad. So I was in a bad place, really bad. So I'm re- trying to recover. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to get, get, you know, make money. Um, my relationship is, is awful. Um, it was, it was really dark times. But, but what pulled me out of it was, so I'm like, okay, I didn't, but still at that time, I didn't believe my, my weightlifting career was done, but there's a lot of other factors now that I had to figure out, right? I thought I was going to recover, keep getting paid and everything was going to go on like normal, but that did not happen. Everything changed at that time. Um, and so I, I, I had left, um, college before I graduated, uh, one semester early because I knew if I wanted to make the Olympics, I had to make some changes and I had to have my full focus on training. So I left one semester short. And I knew I would always go back and finish when the timing was right. And so I was in this huge slump and I'm like, I, I remember there was a moment. So you asked for a moment. So I'll give you a moment in all this. Yeah. There was a moment I was sitting on the floor in my kitchen. I'm like, I'm, I'm taking painkillers. I don't even remember what they were like oxycodone or I don't know something. So you know, there's a little bit of men, altered mental status and I'm just sitting on the floor and I felt like I was so like baffled by my reality like I felt like the room was spinning and I felt like I just felt this like hollowness like I was just floating in space it was so weird I felt like a mental breakdown you know Uh, it was a mental breakdown actually not that I like lost my shit but I was like this I was detached from reality yeah um and it wasn't because I thought my lifting career was over but it was because I was like what, where am I? What, I don't see any path forward out of this. Like, I don't know what. Sounds like you lost your purpose. Dude, I lost everything. You lost your drive. You lost everything. I lost everything. And I, but I'm, I'm a ambitious person. So I'm like, you know, as time moves on, like, I'm like, I got to figure out, I got to figure something else out. So, 
Um, <clears throat> I got out of that relationship. I went back to college, graduated, and I was like, I started moving forward. I'm like, okay, I can't lift right now um, because it's it's not good for my mindset, right? Like if I start lifting and I see how far I am from my goal, I still didn't have full range of motion on my knee yet. <clears throat> I'm like, this isn't what I need. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you? I'm like, what I need is I need a road to start climbing back up slowly. That's not, that's going to make me feel like I'm having daily wins instead of daily losses, right? Like you go from breaking American records to being able to barely lift the bar. Like that's demoralizing. Yeah. You know, daily wins. Yeah. Expand, expand. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what that looked like is, um, the daily wins for me were, here, let me get a sip of water real quick and we'll expand on that. Yeah. You're good. No, I can go off a little bit on that too, just cause that's actually one thing that I, coach on and I help people you've got to look at the daily wins it's so easy for everybody to look at everything you're not doing and it, they overlook those little simple wins that you have even if yeah. it's just getting out of bed if that's a win for you that day that's a win you know what I'm saying it, no it's dude I get it and that and I have had where that's my daily win is getting out of bed you yeah. know like when you're dude don't underestimate, don't underestimate like whatever your win is, everything is a ladder. You got to climb and you got to start, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. But my daily wins for me was I couldn't go in the gym. I, I kept comparing myself to where I was and that was killing me. And I was like, I need to do something where I, I don't have anything to compare myself to. And I can just start on a new, a new path to get back to where I was. Right. And I was CrossFit because CrossFit has weightlifting in it. And I'm like, okay, I can get back in shape. I can do lifting in a little bit different way, so I'm not every day comparing myself to where I was. So I went back to school. I was doing CrossFit, and things were going really great. I'm like, man, I'm starting to feel like myself again. I'm like, I'm in the gym. I'm like, I'm being productive. Like, I'm getting, I'm knocking out my degree, and I started feeling a lot better. I'm like, man, okay, I'm like moving forward again. Yeah. And that was really what started to pull me back out of it. Um, and clo so closed that chapter in my life. Was doing CrossFit. Uh, I moved to Denver. I was training there to CrossFit, CrossFit Alpine with a, 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 a regionals team. So I'm getting better at CrossFit. And um, <clears throat> I, I have an injury in one of the CrossFit open workouts. And I feel a pop in my knee while I was doing double unders. Same knee? Same knee. And I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I, was almost, I had like five more reps, finished the workout, and then my knee starts swelling up. And it's, I start getting all this pain. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, what? I was like, this isn't good. And uh, my knee was like in all kinds of pain for like three months. And so I just did what I could in training. Like at that time I was so fresh. It was like, I want to say it was maybe a year, a year, year and a half after surgery. Right. So I'm still really fresh with moving forward. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not in a point right now where I can, where I can address this injury. I, I'm my, my mental status as far as picking myself up is still so fresh. And, and this is the other point that I think people should, should listen to is a year, I was a year and a half out from surgery. Progress takes consistent progress takes a long time like a lot of people think that if they do something for a day or a week or a month that they're gonna that they're out of it or that they've really moved forward but progress is a long-term process so i'm saying a year and a half later out of my injury i knew at that time um i'm my mental state is still fragile because this is still new uh and so i didn't anyways progress takes a long time so yeah. like consistency over time is where success is made so you gotta take it takes a long time so a year and a half later i get injured and i'm like i'm not stable enough yet to 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 really dig into what this injury is meaning i wasn't ready to get an mri i wasn't ready to figure it out because i knew that if i had retorn my acl that that was potentially game over for all the rest of the plans that i had and i'm like i cannot accept that right now 
mentally you can I you couldn't could, you couldn't do it mentally. I couldn't no I couldn't I couldn't do it I was like there's just no way that I'm ready to even find out if that's the case because I can't do surgery again I'm like that I was so broken and I'm like I'm I can't go through that experience again so there's no point in even checking and so my knee hurt for three months I just did what I could um, I mean, you could still do a lot, right? Yeah. Um, so I just kept training when something really bothered it, didn't do that modified, you know, one of the beauties of CrossFit, you can modify everything. Um, shout out to CrossFit, you know? Oh, Hey, I, Seriously. I modify everything. Now, <laughs> you yeah. see me in the gym. <laughs> um, so then, uh, but I was ready to start, you know, I, I was an alternate on a regionals team in 20, I think 18. And, um, I was like, but I'm ready to go back to weightlifting, you know, like I was starting to. I was snatching like 330, 340 again, and uh, I was clean and jerking right around a little over, like right around 400 again, and that was just through doing CrossFit. So I was like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to start doing weightlifting. So um, it was probably six months after that injury, nine months. I can't, you know, the time kind of it's hard to remember exactly, but let's say six months to a year after that injury, I start, you know, my knee's not hurting anymore. I start training for lifting, and. Um, I, I was doing heavy back squats and every time I would back squat heavy, didn't even have to be that heavy. Um, my knee would do what's called subluxing where the femur and the tibia, like your when you squat down, your femur pushes past your tibia. Like it, it goes out of like joint, comes out of its joint. Right. And I was like, this is weird. And I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I'm going to do some, some really bad damage. I mean, it was like two marbles hitting each other every time I would squat. And I'm like, this isn't good. So it's like, well, it's time for me to go get this thing looked at. So let's say it was two years after surgery, right? I go and get an MRI because I'm like, okay, I'm ready to see what's going on. Get an MRI. And they're like, okay, yeah, you've you full rupture of your ACL. So I completely retore it. And I'm like, man, like there's no, what now? I'm like, I can't do surgery you had again. You torn ACL and you're still cleaning yeah. 400 pounds. Yeah. And snatching 380 pounds with well, a torn ACL. No, not 380, like 340, yeah. But still. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive, Jared. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I can still do that now. I mean, I couldn't do it today, but if you gave me three months, I could still do that. And that's the the tough part, right? Is that even with a torn ACL, I can still do probably 90%, you know, within a, within a training cycle or two, I could do 90% of what I did. But the problem is, is that's not good enough. 90% is, you not, know, for, especially right. on that level, the right. Olympics and the U.S. Yeah. national, like you will not get anywhere right. at 90%. And, exactly. And so it's like, I'm, I'm still great. I'm just not. So did you ever get it fixed? No. So you still have it to this day? Yeah. Yeah, and I watch you lift in the gym, and you're still yeah. lifting crazy amounts with a torn ACL. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. So that was um, yeah. There's a lot there. So, but, but back <laughs> to the back to the whole story, right? Um, I retore my ACL, and that was where that was where I was like. So this was twenty early 2019, I would say. Yeah. And uh, that was where I, you know, because at that time, my whole plan and everything all the way up to that point was getting back to weightlifting. Like that was still on my mind, you know? And then it was at that moment, I was like, it's over, you know? I'm like, what's another surgery going to do? It's going to like, this is going to all end the same. And so um, that was where things really changed. And that was where I went into a long-term depression. That was like two years. Uh, it, I, I came out of it last year. And it was really hard. And that was, and the depression came from the realization or yeah, just realization that I had to, you know, at that point I was like, you know, 28 and I'm like, I got to start, you know, I got to start doing, I got to, I got to figure something out, you know, like yeah. now I got to, I got to move beyond weightlifting. I got to, everything in life changed. It basically went back to in that time in the college where 
your friend asked you, what, what's there. after weightlifting? I woke up at that moment, yeah. And you realized, holy shit, he's asking me that question. I don't know what I'm doing. And that, Right. And that was the worst thing ever because my identity was weightlifting. And I'm like, but I can't do this anymore. And, like, what am I going to? So what have everything? you done to shift that identity to who you are today? Took a long time, dude. Took a long time. Are you still working on it? Uh, always, right. We always are trying yeah. to work on it. So I would be lying if I said, if I said no, uh, I'm in the best place I've been in my entire life. And that's because of the work I've done to climb out of that place. Um, and know, I, and I'm pretty sure it's the people you surround yourself. I mean, you're with grace. She's awesome. I mean, you've got that relationship. I'm pretty sure with, through that, she's helped you immensely. Oh yeah. Through that. Yeah. Our relationship. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Our relationship is very, is very healthy. Um, we're on the same page on so many things as far as just like our character traits, you know, and working hard and constantly trying to be better and um, being a productive member of just humanity, you know. So absolutely. The way it started for me was um, I started doing, uh, I started reading some, I started reading books, uh, just spirituality books and self-help books. And I started doing meditation retreats uh, and just really started exploring the depths of my soul and looking for, for answers um, and Took a long time, but I started finding those answers. And um, you say a long time, but two years, or well, three years isn't that isn't that long? I would say that it, but I w- I'm also kind of lumping in the from the moment I injured myself is the beginning of the road of figuring out what it was. You know, gotcha. Um, so because I because I look at it like my career ended in twenty the end of twenty fifteen, and it's been this long since, until I realized it and and woke up to what was next. But as far as yeah, two years. I mean. I would say I've made a lot of progress in a short amount of time, um, but the pain that I endured was immense, and I had no choice but to figure it out that fast to to keep my own life, you know. Yeah. Um, and what the the blessing, right? So I see I see the adversity I faced with my mother as a child as a blessing. I see the adversity that I went through with weightlifting and the depression that I experienced as a blessing because it has expanded my resolve. And it has helped me understand other people and understand people's pain and and how people could harm themselves. Uh, not that I ever did, but I understand the place that someone would is coming from to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of blessings there, and and what got me out of it. And again, I, I think that this, where people miss the mark here is that struggle is universal, pain is universal what brings it on might be different from person to person, but when you're depressed and you're contemplating your own life, like doesn't matter what caused that you're in that place. Right. So that pain is, is, is common. Not that, that pain is this, the same, right. Yeah. Just despite what brought it on. And where I think a lot of people miss the mark is that they don't understand hard work and working through something and being uncomfortable. And that's what weightlifting taught me. And that's what my grandfather taught me. And that's what my father taught me is, work hard and endure pain and endure struggle and get through. And because of the skills I learned through my, my parental figures and through weightlifting, I was able to climb through adversity after adversity. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it taught you that self-confidence. It gave you that self-confidence. I mean, again, it goes back to you're your only competition when it comes to weightlifting. It's you, it's your progression, it's your practice, it's you. And Again, you know, Ed Milet, he talks about this. I, I, as you can tell, I like Ed Milet. You know, you want to build your self-confidence. Keep the simple promises you make to yourself. Mm. I mean, how often do you have to keep those simple promises in mm. weightlifting? No, I got to do that extra rep. Yeah. I got to do that. Every day. Exactly. Yep. And really think about where you were and applying that to your life today. 
you built that strength and that self-confidence so strong in your life. I'm assuming I, I, I can only imagine becoming an Olympian because in all reality, Jared, you are an Olympian. And when it comes down to it, I mean, you, you, you were at that level. Yeah, no, for sure. I didn't you know go what to, I'm saying. Yeah. I didn't compete at the Olympics, but I've beaten Olympians on numerous occasions. I, I view myself at that, at that rank for sure. I do too. And so that self-confidence to get there, I can only imagine having that self-confidence help get you out of that depression faster. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, what's interesting is um, my sense of self-worth and confidence in that place had completely absolved. Like it was all gone. It was a very, what a, what a weird place to be. Um, but my confidence was completely gone. What honestly, what honestly brought me through that was the, the skills that I learned were part of what got me through it. Confidence was certainly not. What got me through it was, were two. I believe two things are what got me through it. One was my faith in that ending my own life, or let's just put, let's just say that, right? Ending my own life wasn't the end of my suffering. I believe that there is some kind of existence after this, and I believe that the way we go out, meaning like the the contents of our soul or our exist or what we are at the moment of our death is what shoots us into whatever is next. And, um, it's interesting. It's, yeah, it's something I got out of the Tibetan book of living and dying. It just seemed to make a lot of sense to me. Um, so I, I believed that and I still do believe that. And, um, I was like, if I end my life, then I'm not, I'm not doing myself any, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not moving forward. I'm not yeah. ending this. I'm just changing the, changing the essence of it, you know? And so the faith that there was no way out of my suffering, but through it, period. And so I was like, once I really recognized that, I was like, okay, then the only thing there is to do is what I've always known, which is put my head down, put my head down and start working. And and where the the difference this time, though, was with weightlifting, I always knew the path. It was the next training program, you know, and I like it was already planned out for you. Right. And this time there was no roadmap. That was what was so hard and scary about it is I didn't know my way out of it. But when I committed, I was like, I'll do everything I need to do. I started reading. I started meditating. I started and I just I was like, OK, what makes me feel good? And I'm like accomplishing things. I'm like, I got to start doing things to like I got to start accomplishing th- things. I got to set meaningful goals. And it's like, what are meaningful goals? So a lot of th- reflection and thought. And I just started working again. And that's what lifted me out of it was faith in something and and hard work. And so. Um, yeah. Well, I'm still, I'm still a believer, and I'll challenge you on that. That w- y- without the confidence, you wouldn't have done it. You know, you're probably right, right? Like, I mean, you had I, to have yeah. confidence in yourself to yeah. even pick up the books, to read, to meditate, because people that are very, very self, you know, that don't look at themselves and they're like, "Oh, poor pity me. Why is this happening to me?" Again, it's that whole saying: "Life is happening for you, not to you." Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It. Yeah, I um. Man, I have such a hard time with people who, uh, I have such a hard time when I hear people, not those people, but when I hear people talk about themselves that way, and I'm like, you have got to, like, you've got to get over that. You've got to start, like, man, when you're a victim of your circumstances, you're giving up all your power to make any change in your own life, and you are screwed only because of yourself, you know? It's so hard to see people in that place because that's... I lived like that 10 years, 10 years of my life. I was like that. So I've been there. It's hard. And exactly like I look back and going, 
man, why did I do that to myself? What got you out of that? That's 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 a really interesting. I mean, what what brought ten years in that place? What was the moment or moments that made you go, I got to change, or that or that helped you change? I started loving myself. And what did that look like? For me, it was I tried. My defining moment was in 2016. I've talked about this a little bit. You know, I did try to commit suicide. And it was because of my son that I am still here today. Um, you know, I'll go back on other podcasts and stuff. I'll share it with you a little bit later. But at that time in my life, I started finding purpose. And I realized that other people had purpose in me. I thought I was a, a, a dipshit, like nobody, everything. In 2016, I was like, you know, but he needs me here, so I'm going to be here for him. Mm. And it wasn't until later on that I started self-reflect again, self-reflecting, meditation, surrounding myself with people that actually saw value in me that I couldn't see. It made me realize that I am worth something. And that self-reflection, I began to love myself and become grateful for just waking up. And for me, it was gratitude. And it was practicing the law of gratitude. It's something that I do every single day. Um, again, like it, it, it wasn't an instant thing. I mean, even to this day, I still struggle with depression. I think everybody does. I think you, you still have those days. Yeah. But I understand now that gratitude, and if you just sit back and just look at the wonderful things you have in your life, it will get you out of it. Yeah. And for me, that that's really what it, what it is. It, it's, it's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It yeah. really is sometimes. But for me, it's like, I'm okay. I tell myself, Alex, you're okay. You're alive. Just keep pushing forward. Yeah. Sometimes that's what I have to tell myself. And I'm okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it sounds so cliche when people talk about gratitude, but that is also something that is very heavy in my life is gratitude. Um, there's an old Indian proverb, Native American proverb about um, a man who isn't grateful needs to check himself because there's always, you know, I, again, you should look it up. It's, I can't remember who it's by, but look up, you know, Native American uh, proverb on gratitude. But basically, um, if you don't have anything to be grateful for, there's a problem with you, mm-hmm. you know, not, maybe not a problem with you, but you put there something not right with the way you're looking at the world, you know, um, and, and gratitude is there's no self-reflection. Yeah, yeah, I think gratitude comes from self-reflection and really understanding and, and realizing what you have. You know, what's interesting is like I think when um, because I started when I was in in my depre- depression, I was trying to find things to be grateful for. And I couldn't find anything because I was in such suffering. I had I like I couldn't be at the time. I couldn't be grateful for food on my plate. I couldn't be grateful for like a warm shower, like literally nothing brought me happiness. And I was just so hollowed out. Um but when I started to, I was like, I recognized that there was an issue when I couldn't even find something to be grateful for. Um, but what I can tell you now is having gone through that place to have things now that bring me joy or bring me happiness and to be genuinely in a, in a place of like, I like living. I like my life. Now I feel gratitude for everything, right? The food that's, that's in front of me, like clean water, like just my, my, the fact that I have a home, well, like so many things. And it all comes down to, you said it just a little while ago too. You're grateful for the sufferings that you had in your past. Oh, I mean, man, yeah. from your mom, mm-hmm. that abuse at that time, were you grateful that you were going through it? Oh man, no way. No, but when you look back, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. That's a defining moment that like, you know what? I'm grateful that happened because that's made me who I am today. Yeah. Like, am I grateful that 
I went through the depression and, and that 10 years of, of, oh, poor pity me. At that time, no. But now, I, as I reflect back, absolutely. Because, I mean, that's why I do this. I want to help people. I want to help people understand that they can get out of depression. Mm-hmm. You had a life-altering injury that ended your Olympic career. But yet you're sitting here today saying you're grateful. Yeah. You're grateful, ultimately, that it happened and that what's has come after that has helped you progress even more in your life without that injury. Where would you be? I don't even want to know. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. In my life, I can guarantee you my life is better now than it would be had I've gone down that road farther. Exactly. Just because who I am is better as as an overall person. You're chasing the better version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the ultimate goal in life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people catch on to that. I think that, yeah, people don't, I don't think people realize that the, one of the, one of the greatest blessings is pain. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a saying, um, don't pray for an easy life, pray for the strength to overcome a difficult one. And it's that the, the reality of that has become so apparent in my life that the biggest struggles and challenges that we go through in the moment, man, they suck. And boy, you don't really realize it. But, uh, those moments are so great for your, for you and what you come out on the other side. And now, you know, I, I'm at a place where when the next thing in my life hits me to recognize that this is this is an opportunity yeah. for to grow and seeing it as such rather than as a curse. Um, I think just knowing that going into it uh, is. is uh, Yeah, I think just if you know that struggle is good for you, I think that just knowing that it will help you immensely as you're going through whatever struggle you have. Well, it's even just changing your thought, like you said at the very first, it's it's you're you're not a problem solver. You're a solution seeker. Yeah. If you become a solution seeker in your life, all problems go away. Well, they don't go away. They're still there. But your perception, yeah, it changes. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like now in your life, you just look for solutions. Yep. Because problems are going to be there. I don't give a shit who you are. I don't care if you're the richest or the poorest person. If you're poor, it's hard. If you're rich, it's hard. You got to choose your heart. Mm-hmm. If you're out of shape, it's hard. Yeah. If you're in shape. It's hard. You know what I'm saying? Nobody, you know, it's funny. People think that the rich person or this person has it all figured out. But I'll tell you, I've been rich and I've been poor. Like, no matter what, you are not immune to struggle, period. Like, exactly. everyone, struggle will find you no matter what. Exactly. So it's, yeah. Well, that's I think just, that's Jim, just part of life, man. Jim Carrey said the same thing. He's like, I wish everyone knew that being rich and famous wasn't the solution, you know? Yeah. It's, it's. I keep bringing up Jim Carrey, but he's, he's, all, he's also so reflective i've learned a lot from just hearing what he has to say too you know along with many other people but um yeah that's interesting i i have listened to jim carrey too i love it that he talks about his dad and you know being an accountant and that uh, just all of it yeah Yeah. he's he's a good dude i would love to meet him someday i think that would be fun oh yeah that would be crazy it'd be a lot of good laughs you know i mean talk about interviewing him Good luck. <laughs> I know, right? He, he would run circles around all of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. Well, what's next for Jared? I mean, talk about your, you know, you've overcome so many things, so many obstacles and everything. You, you touched on it a little bit. You be, you're becoming a firefighter. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I was a firefighter for a, a couple of years. Yeah, you were telling me that. Did you like your experience? I loved it. Yeah. So the reason why I stopped was actually a knee injury. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't tear my ACL. I tore my car, tore my cartilage. Ooh, three surgeries later. Fun. 
Yeah. So I, I always tell the joke that, yeah, I was saving this little child out of a burning building. I tripped over the hose, but she's safe. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> so I was actually just getting off the fire truck. You know, they and say, I, and I blew, I blew my knee jumping off the fire truck. They say so many injuries come from just getting out of the truck. Yep. You know, I you, blew my knee out. Uh, and so, and then I, I was a, I was a volunteer at that time, a paid volunteer. I was going to go down to Vegas, you know, do that training and stuff and really become a firefighter, you know, in the downturn of the real estate market. That was just the next best thing. And I just had that self-reflection, like, do I really want this? Yeah. Do I really want to do it? And having that knee surgery three times over, mm. like, no, yeah, move on. So, yeah. but tell us about your experience so far. It has been great. You know, I just got through with, uh, I just finished my national registry exam for my EMS. So that yeah. was the last step. So uh, I'll start working here pretty soon, which is, which is exciting. But the academy was great. Uh, I've learned a ton. I'm happy to be, able, I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve my community. Um, you and Grace. Both of us. I know. Yeah, I love that. I know. Isn't that awesome? I think that's freaking awesome. Yeah. No, it's cool, man. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I look I look forward to being able to serve my community, but also being able to um, help my brothers and sisters in service as well. You know, uh, the end, you know, we all, I, I, you know, I haven't gone on many calls yet, so I'm speaking a little early here, but um, we all experience very difficult things. And so I, I feel like a lot of times the, you know, the fellow fire firemen um, need just as much help as the community that they're serving. You know, absolutely. You, you see certain things and you do certain things to help others that that really shape your perspective and, and can be harmful to your to your mind, to your mind. And so I'm excited to be able to be there for them as well to just talk through and just and just be there, you know, because um, it's your you, bubble you come across some difficult. Things. Oh, you're you I, I say we all live in bubbles and being on the being a fireman, being on those calls your bubble gets burst pretty quick Yeah, of what really happens in your, or in your communities and what goes on. Cause you're not just first responders on fires. You go on all medical calls, oh, yeah. everything, medical car crash fires. Yeah. If there's, if someone needs help, you're there, Yep. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I really look, I really look forward to that. You know, why firefighting? Well, several reasons. One, I, I feel the need to serve my community. And I feel like this is a way I can serve my community that is meaningful to me, one that I'm cut out for uh, as far as being strong and physically fit and mentally strong. Um, and I've always, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, I also own my own business, American Muscle Weightlifting, where I coach athletes. Um, the schedule is what I love so much because it allows, you know, working two days on, four days off and the ability to trade shifts and be able mm -hmm. to take time off. Uh, it'll, it allows me the freedom to continue doing what I'm doing with coaching. Uh, it allows me the ability to take time off pretty much whenever I want to, you know, obviously you got to work for that. You don't, it's not just given to you, but you yeah. have the flexibility and freedom to do that. And for me, the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons I've always been an entrepreneur is because I, I value freedom more than just about anything. The freedom to say, you know what, like I want to, I want to go on this vacation or I want to go you know, visit my family or I want to, you know, oh. ABCD, whatever. And normal jobs is like, Hey, you got two weeks of time off, like, and you can only use it at this time or whatever. And you sit at a desk from you know nine to five. And that's just not for me. Firefighting. It's like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to work for two days straight and I'm going to spend time with really awesome individuals. And we're going to focus on working out and getting healthier and, 
educating ourselves to be able to help our community better and just constantly growing and becoming a better version of yourself amongst other people or with other people. Um, Freedom of just, you know, just freedom. You're able to make, take time off when you need it, you know? And so for those reasons, that's awesome. Honestly, yeah. I I do miss I I do miss it sometimes. I won't lie to you. It was so much fun. I was the and, and drove the big engine. It was so much fun, man. So I applaud you for that. That's awesome. So um, anything else? I mean, you you touched a little bit. You you do coach. You do own your own business. Um, you know, if somebody does want to get into that and actually learn weightlifting and you're available how do they how do they find you yeah i would say the best way would be to uh reach out to me on instagram my instagram handle is uh at jared f 109 so j-a-r-e-d-f 109 um you could also email me at the american lifter at gmail.com um those would be the best ways to get in touch with me best ways to get in touch with you yeah well jared honestly thank you so much you've got a fascinating freaking story man and I love just, I was just eating this all up. I even took a couple notes here. Thank you for being on the podcast and, and taking this time to share your story. Hopefully some people resonate through your purpose and what drove you to get to where you are. You're not done. That's one thing I love about your story is you're young. I mean, how old are you? 30. 30 years old. You've accomplished, look at how much you've accomplished and you're only 30 years old. Oh yeah, best look, is still ahead. Exactly. And look how much more you have to accomplish. So thank you so much for being on and yeah leave comments below guys and reach out to jared reach out to me uh, again thank you for t- tuning in to the purpose driven podcast you don't want facts you don't want to hear another side rather sit back and be mad you don't want to humanize anybody with a different view let it be a given many kind of past you don't want this you don't want that you don't want to be cool try to bridge gaps life is a whole lot better when you don't gotta face yourself you can blame it on white you can blame it on black